Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Other 14 podcast, the only podcast that forgets all about the so-called Big Six and focuses just on the other 14 teams of the Premier League. This week was so close to being saintly, it wasn't all sweet for the Eagles against the Toffees and the Foxes came out top in the dogfight in the relegation battle. This week, as always, we're joined by Tom. Hello, Reese. Hi, Tom. Um, I have a quick question for you. Five goals in 21 minutes on a scale of one to ten. How funny was Sunday afternoon? Uh, six. <laughs> you know what? I um, I was on the drive home from work when the game was on, so I didn't have any sort of any clue about what the hell was going on while being complete and utter sort of footballing world was in meltdown watching Spurs get absolutely annihilated by Newcastle. Um, I had a bit of a bit of an issue sort of coming home from work just because there was so much traffic and, and things like that um, randomly on a Sunday um, afternoon because obviously people haven't got anything better to do. Um, but I had a quick call from uh, my mum who then effectively said, uh, do you want to know the score? At which point I just knew straight away. And I added some context. My dad is a Spurs supporter. Um, added some context. Um, yeah, so basically like, hmm, this is only going to go one of two ways. Uh, well, actually, only one way because it's Spurs. And I just, as soon as I heard that it was 5 0 after 20 minutes, I just burst into absolute laughter. Um, and it was absolutely hilarious. It was extremely funny. Yeah, so I was listening to the West Ham Bournemouth commentary on Radio 5 Live Extra. And I wasn't paying much attention to the live game because that was on TV. I wasn't that bothered about watching it. And then. The commentary on Radio 5 Live Extra and they turn around and go, oh, and it's another goal to Newcastle inside a couple of minutes. I was like, what What do, what do they mean? Another, another goal, goal to Newcastle. <laughs> and so I then flicked on the TV um, to watch the game just as Newcastle then go and make it, make it 4-0. I was like, this can't be... No, it was 3-0 when uh, Jacob was scored after nine his second. Minutes. Yeah. So that's when I turned it on. And then I was just listening to the West Ham commentary, not really much paying much attention to the TV at all. And then I hear the commentator go on the West Ham game going, oh, and it's uh, and it's four at St. James's Park. So I then look up at the TV and there's a slight delay between the TV and the radio. The radio was yeah. quicker. Just as I see Isak score uh, his first of the day, and I'm like, oh, this is amusing. Stop watching again. Like It's just on in the background. I have it on mute as well because I'm listening to the radio. Yeah. And then the commentator goes, and it's five. Some days. I'm like, sorry, what is going on? Look up <laughs> again and then watch Isaac score the fifth. And it was... It's just one of those days where it's just like, nothing makes sense. Um, but but every, everything was all right in the world because Spurs are absolutely bottling it as per usual. But it was more the fact that just the absolute dismantlement in such a short amount of time, you were suddenly worrying, going, how many is this going to be? Like, because for all, don't get me wrong, Newcastle played very well in that game. But also, just Tottenham was so awful. You kind of thought, well, will it be more of a cricket score than anything else? Um, yeah. Tends to, tends to happen when two members of your back four aren't actually good being in the back in that back four. It was like I just Isak's first goal when uh, oh, absolutely ball fantastic Willock. ball from Willock outside of the boot, 
but you're looking at Tottenham's back four or where their back four should yeah. be, and there's two Tottenham fans and two Newcastle, uh, sorry, two Tottenham players and two Newcastle players, and the Newcastle players just bombing forward in so much space. Yeah, it, it's truly. It was brilliant to watch. Watching all the reaction as well from Spurs fans afterwards just makes it oh so sweeter. Um, you just told me the news as we've started recording that Stellini, the temporary manager, has been sacked. I didn't know that was possible. I just thought you replace them with a proper It's a manager. very rare feat when a, a temporary manager gets the sack. So I assume that they're probably going to appoint Ryan Mason, I'd imagine. Uh, yeah, like that Ryan Mason is to take charge for Jose. the remainder. Yeah, yeah his um, first game in charge was the League Cup final. <laughs> like, truly um, awful and hilarious. The fact that this is a Tottenham side and the Tottenham ownership that thought they deserved to be in a European Super League. <laughs> Could you imagine if that went through? <laughs> uh, but then, obviously, the result, Harry Kane pulled one back and then Callum Wilson made it 6-1 to Newcastle. I suppose the big talking point here for us is Newcastle are fairly set in now for Champions League. Tottenham were potentially a threat. Um, Aston Villa still potentially a threat as well for that place. But we can both be fairly confident that the Champions League theme will be ringing around St James's Park next uh, next year in um, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, fantastic result. It's great to see that Newcastle bounce back from their slightly iffy spell. Um, in January and February, start of the year, where they didn't pick up many results, but they've come, they've started absolutely flying again. I wouldn't want to play them for any point for the rest of the season, um, and uh, just think they're going to push on the teams, the other fourteen that still have to face them. So they look like they're going to have a fair bit of say in the relegation battles. They've got still got to play Everton, Southampton, Leeds, and Leicester. So. Yeah, it's still not on that they they're in the Champions League, but you can be pretty, pretty darn certain that they'll um they're gonna fight the remainder of the way. They're not just gonna take it easy. Oh, exactly. Um so all those teams have a reason to be slightly worried, but fantastic result. Brilliant goals, which we'll get into in goal of the week as well. Some of them uh, some of them comical in terms of uh, the effort from the defence, but also some absolutely fantastic play from Newcastle. And before we go on to the other talking points of the match week, over to you, Tom, with the classified results for the game week. Here are the classified results for match week 32 of the Premier League 22-23 season. Three, Southampton, three. Fulham, two. Leeds United, one. Bristol Palace, nil. Everton, nil. Three, Nottingham Forest, two. Brentford, one. Aston Villa, one. Leicester City, two. Wolverhampton Wanderers, one. Newcastle, six. One. AFC Bournemouth, nil. West Ham United, four. Some absolutely massive results there. And um, yeah, let's go straight into uh, one of the biggest ones, I think. Last week, West Ham slightly disrupted Arsenal's Premier League title challenge but just uh, a few minutes into Friday night's game it seems that the Saints had fully derailed it after just 14 minutes Arsenal were two down to the Saints thanks to some divinely inspired play by Carlos Alcaraz with a quick goal and assist 
Unfortunately, Arsenal battled back to draw the game three all, but the Saints earned an unexpected point from the game. While watching the game, Tom, other than finding it highly amusing that um, Arsenal were being humbled by Southampton, the big question on my mind was, where has this Southampton fight been all season? Yeah, that's a very, very, very good point. Um, I don't think any of us had down Southampton to race into what was such a a shocking but fully deserved lead because Southampton played absolutely brilliant at that, those opening phases. Um, you know, I've got to think BBC came out with a, with a stat the other day um, that Southampton were the first team in Premier League history to score three against a team in... Um, no, sorry. First team in Premier League history to score three against a team in first when they were starting bottom that day. Um, if they played more like, you know, it's a very much if if Watson maybes or whatever, but, you know, had Southampton played a little bit more like that throughout the, the rest of the season, that's just gone past. Um, whether or not they could have been in a better position, you know, we've, we've said pretty much all, all throughout the year that Southampton do play some nice football, um, but it's it's sort of weak in its sort of execution by that they don't score a lot of goals and they concede quite a lot. Um, and there was, and I say concede quite a lot, there was just an, a sense of inevitability that, yes, they were sort of 2-0 ahead. But, I mean, I, I sent you a text um, on that on that game when the game was sort of going on because um, I had to go to bed early and because I worked very early in the morning um, that following day. I just sent to you, by the time I wake up, I fully expect this to be 3-2 to Arsenal. Um, I was slightly surprised when I woke up and saw it 3-0. Um, but there was just, a, a yeah, like I said, an air of inevitability that, Southampton were not going to hold on to it. And even though it did show some a little bit of fight, um, and it was very much a surprising result in the first place, um, you just think it's too little, too late. You know, we talk about earlier on in the season, earlier on in the season, a few sort of shows ago about, you know, teams' performances against the big six in comparison to teams against, well, um, in their sort of same position of the league. Ultimately, a three-all draw against Arsenal doesn't really mean much at this late stage of the season. Probably not. Um, but for them, for those brief moments of time to be two goals ahead and absolutely dreaming of three points at the at the Emirates, absolutely fair play. But yeah, like I said, just an error, an error of inevitability. Yeah, I think you're right. It's um, and and that's the case when they went two up. You thought. Arsenal, it was a long time for Arsenal to kind of come back into the game. They then got Arsenal just don't like playing at home to South Coast teams. Apparently so. Um and then when they made it 3 1, you almost thought, oh, they've they've got a chance here. They might yeah. they might do it. Um but I think, yeah, you've summed it up perfectly there. This Southampton team has lacked so much throughout the season that to bring just something a bit to bring some quality like I, I was amazed by how good their press was. Like they were picking up Arsenal, picking off Arsenal in the middle of the pitch at times. Um, they were surprisingly and uncharacteristically clinical. Like that first effort, well taken from like they pressed well to pick yeah. up the ball um off of Ramsdale's pass into into the defence into midfield and a great finish from Alcaraz. And then for their goal, for their second goal, the way he plays the ball so beautifully through to Theo Walcott, who suddenly learnt how to finish. Yeah. That's been absent all season. Um, you kind of thought, oh, it's somewhat come together, but completely at the wrong time against the wrong opposition. 
So this season, talk about the results that they have picked up um, against kind of teams of significance. Um, they drew, they beat, they've done the double over Chelsea. They drew with Arsenal earlier in the season at St Mary's and then producing the 2-0 win at St Mary's against City in the quarterfinal of the EFL Cup. Why, why, why only just now are they producing something that was competitive? Oh, and they also got that draw against uh, Tottenham the other week. Yes. Um, that 3 all. Where has this team been for the lo- recent losses against West Ham, against Palace? Um, yeah. It It's so bizarre that they're picking and choosing these absolute wrong moments. And I'll be honest, they... If they'd got all three points, you kind of would have gone, it's unlikely they'll survive, but they have a small chance. Given the the one shot. point doesn't go far enough for them. Um, and yeah, I just couldn't get my head around it, other than obviously great because I find it brilliant that they've stolen three, uh, stolen two, effectively a point off of Arsenal and Arsenal have dropped two because when Arsenal fans were looking at the fixtures, they were going, Oh well, we'll beat Southampton on the Friday. Timing then the, at the bottom. Yeah, then the over. then the big game is against for them would be City midweek, which is yeah. the prim, like the battle for the title. If they won that, then chances yeah. are that they were going on to win the league. So from that point of view, the fact that Southampton were able to really screw over Arsenal, fantastic. I just feel a bit sorry for Saints fans that it's come far too little and too late. Yeah. I um, mean... And I, I don't know, is this the sort of fixture that maybe the Saints board will look at and go, well, okay, Sellers is doing some good stuff with the with us. Maybe we keep him on for a season in the championship as well. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't disagree. I think um unfortunately I think the inevitability will come and I think Opta stats basically back it up, but I think they have Southampton down as like a ninety plus percentage points in terms of likelihood to go down at this stage. Um so you know don't want to be the bearer of brand news, but I think Southampton fans have probably been preparing for this for quite some time. That the likelihood is they will be playing championship football next season. Um, there is an element of stuff to work with for sellers there. Um, there has been occasional they do have, signs, yeah. They and also in the summer, they bought young, they yeah. that, and that's what they did. They did a good job of that. They yeah. bought in a like Bazuni, I didn't realize was only like 20 or 21 in goal. Um, They've got Mara up top. Mara. He's really young. Bella Cotrap's really lad. young. Um, oh, I think Arebo would be absolutely fantastic in yeah. the championship. And I think also the, the likelihood is that we've we probably mentioned this that when. Unfortunately, I keep I keep saying is saying that as it when not if, but um, when Southampton do go down, the likelihood is they won't lose too many players from that group either. The only person that I can see them losing is James Ward Prowse, and that's probably about it. Maybe Carl Walker Peters. Yeah, I'm uh, looking at their squad. I'm thinking, yeah, they can probably keep the majority of that squad together. Yeah, I think they'll be able to keep most of it. I think you're right with uh, the two you've just mentioned. Then maybe someone like Adam Armstrong, who is maybe that bit more experienced, a team coming up might be interested by him. Yeah, but pretty much, I think spot on. There's no one really, unless I suppose the likes of Mara get interest, pick up some interest because he's young. Um, actually, one player I would say watching that game that I would take in a heartbeat is Carlos Alcaraz. He, he was uh, on I show for the like majority of that first half. I mean, he I, also it, cleared the ball off the line as well. It, that that clearance off the line was phenomenal because you go, oh, yeah. who was that? And then it's like, oh, it's Alcaraz. 
then yeah, was absolutely got an assist, cleared the ball off the line, he did everything. And then I was absolutely baffled when he got taken off at half time. What? He got, yeah, he got subbed off at half time. That's the only bit I didn't pick up. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, so he was okay. Picked... Scrap everything I said about Sellers. <laughs> no, but it does make sense. So they he was um he was taken off at half time to make like a different I'm pretty sure it was half time that he was taken off uh, to make a defensive change. And I'm just looking now. When was when was he taken off? Um, he was booked in the 27th minute, um, so that might have had something to do with it. Yeah. Either way, he came off very early. Um, but I, I I kind of think fair. He's he's clearly a talent. Once again, probably quite young as well. I know next to nothing about him. Um, yeah. But. Yeah, I, I think there's only a few players that will leave that Southampton squad, so they'll be able to keep up that keep that continuity going into next season in the Championship, and they will have a number of players who will do really well in the Championship. Um, I think Walcott probably will stay there and do well. The likes of Jan Bednarak will be fine there. Perot will be fine. Bazunu, it's whether they obviously keep them, but um, yeah, I I think overall good result now for Southampton but obviously too, in the late long run, have, yeah. too late to have any real impact in their chances on staying up the season yeah exactly I mean it, it's relegation fight 101 you need to be picking up points against those teams in and around you points against the big six when you're losing to those teams in and around you mean absolutely nothing so right, they're, they're fun and I'm sure the Southampton fans that were at the Emirates on Friday night had a great time but oh yeah absolutely living in dreamland but yeah. what what else is there because if, if yeah. you look at where they are currently in the season um if you look at where they are in the table, they're still very much slumped at the bottom in 20, 24 points from 32 games. Yeah. That's only their second point in their last five. Only Forest have yeah. a worse yeah. return than them. But a similar return yeah, I... to Chelsea in their last five games. That's a hilarious thing. Yeah. Um, but no, hard luck Southampton. I think the only thing I'd be interested in to know it. Do the Southampton fans think that Sellers is the right player to take them? Manager. Is Sellers the right manager to take them into next season in the Championship? Yeah, it'd be interesting to find out. Um, I just, yeah, I just want to point out that we are not criticising Southampton for trying to go out and pick, pick up some points against the big six sides. We're not. It's just the fact that they have not been picking up points against those in and around them in the first place, which makes this whole result that more confusing. Well, looking at their attitude and approach to games, they were so hot on Arsenal throughout the game, whether it was yeah. just some, for some reason a tactic The tactical switch. Well, but yeah. it's like, why wouldn't you do that against the likes of... like? Yeah, it's the I frustrating saw, thing about I Southampton. I saw Southampton come to the London Stadium and they offered absolutely nothing for 90 minutes and were truly dreadful. Yeah. What, what suddenly changed now? Yeah, um, exactly. Tom, I had a massive shock when looking through the live results come in on Saturday and um, it caused a moment of reflection. I have been nothing but negative towards the appointment of Dean Smith at Leicester City, but this week he masterminded all three points in their win over Wolves. Um, Have we been too negative? And is this result really a glimmer of hope that Leicester fans need going into their final few games of the season that they might actually survive? I I think we've been rightly negative. Um I was happy in some sense to see that Leicester had the ability to come back from a goal down. Um especially at home because their home form is like the second worst I think in the league. 
Um, and that's what's been good of recent years with Leicester, the fact that they have made the King Power some form of um, fortress a little bit. Um, yeah, absolutely right. It was, you know, a, a good performance from the Leicester side uh, to come back and, and Dean Smith seems to have had a little bit of input there. Um, but ultimately, there's... I wrote down my notes here. There's, there's nothing immediately from this game that suggests to me that Leicester will stay up. Um, in terms of the comparison of the teams sort of above them at this stage, I think the only other two teams that I, I sort of worry about um, sort of potentially that they could overtake are the like, Leeds or Everton. I mean, Everton are in the drop bottom three as we, as we speak. Um, but ultimately, Ultimately, I think they'll still be in and around that sort of bottom three positions come the end of the season, no matter what, because I just think the teams above them, the likes of the West Ham, Bournemouth, Crystal Palace, Wolves, etc., are just that slightly step ahead. Um, and there's nothing from this game, even though Leicester have beaten Wolves in this case, there's nothing that sort of thrills me about them. I, th- I think compared to recent weeks, they played with a bit they played more... better. They played better. It looks like they kind of know what they're doing a bit more. I know there were kind of some glimpses of it in the game against Man City in the second half where they looked like they could have come back to maybe they had some really good opportunities. Yeah, but that's like a partial point because City did take their foot off the gas a little bit because they were they stretched into such a quick I, lead. I know, but looking at Leicester's games coming up, I think beating Wolves, absolutely essential, is the team down there. We've just spoken about that with Southampton. Yeah. They've now got fixtures against Leeds, Everton, Fulham, I could see that potentially they could go on a little unbeaten run here across yeah. four games and that would push them through to safety. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's enough there that I couldn't see that being too unlikely at this point. I've effectively said in, in my notes pretty much the same thing. Um, but looking at it from a slightly different angle, these next two games are absolutely crucial for Dean Smith and Leicester. If they don't win both of these games against Le- Leeds and Everton, Leicester go down. That's my viewpoint. I suppose it's... Is it a case of looking at the table and looking at the fixtures that the other teams have? Is it a case of... Because looking at Leeds' fixtures, for example, are absolutely horrid. Yeah. Is it a case for Leicester? Obviously, you you wouldn't say take this approach. That just don't lose them games. Because I, I think... I, based I don't on, think based, draws mean anything, though. Based, I think they need to be winning those games. Based on those fixtures... So Leicester, Leeds and Everton, I think Forest, based on form, based on everything, I think they're most likely to go and they have the worst run of fixtures. Yeah. And then the one team between Leeds, Leicester and Everton, Leicester have a slightly worse... uh, Sorry, Leeds have the worst uh, games to play and uh, Leicester do play both Everton and Leeds. So I think it's a case of just don't lose them. And that, that I'm not. They won't take that approach, but I think you can't afford to give up three points to your rivals at this stage when you're yes. in a slightly better position than them. It's absolutely not uh, an absolute must. And uh, you know, yeah, they can't afford to lose those games. Absolutely, um, I just think it would prove so so much better for Leicester in the long run. Obviously, winning is absolutely essential. It's part and parcel of, 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 of the sport, um, but. Just look, those games after these and Everton uh, fixtures, you've got Fulham, who I think over the last recent weeks, we've been a little bit harsh on Fulham because they have gone a little sort of couple of wins here and there. And they are sort of yeah, grabbing they have suddenly picked up two wins, European which fight. kind of surprised yeah. me. Um, yeah. I, I think um, Europe, then, Europe's too far for them, but I think yeah. they'll be comfortably kind of yeah. in that eighth, ninth, tenth slot. 
you've got a Liverpool side who might sort of be re-emerging and are still fighting for Europe. Then you've got a Newcastle side who are playing brilliantly right now. And then you've got a West Ham side who potentially how fixtures go will be safe and potentially European fixtures go. They might be on the verge of winning a uh, of winning a trophy. They'll be in a bit of form. So let's just for like you know for whatever reason call those last four games moot. Those two games against Leeds and Everton, I I just I think they have to win both of those. I I think if they win one win one draw one, they'll be safe. Okay. I I, don't, I, I as the weeks go on and looking at the fixtures, if they lose any of those the games, points total that I think you need is like decrease, like in pointless. The is, yeah. the totalized is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. Yeah. To the point where looking at those fixtures and what is winnable for all those teams, I'm almost looking at Bournemouth going. I don't think you really need more than thirty three at this point. Yeah. Like, yeah. Genu- like the quality has been that poor in result getting. Yeah, you just you sort of get a sense that teams are stumbling over the line. They're not sort of finishing with a plomb. I mean, yeah, Palace have sort of grabbed and pulled themselves away just in a couple of games like that. And absolutely they'll be yeah. they'll be fine for the remainder of the season. But certain teams are just, yeah, really, really sort of yeah. last well, sort of stages of a marathon and just sort of like collapsing over the line. Well, that's the, well, quite fitting after Sunday. Um, exactly. Yeah, Palace, 10 points from five, last five. West Ham, 10 points from their last five. Wolves, seven points from their last five. And Bournemouth, nine points from their last five. And then Leeds, one win in five. Leicester, one win in yeah. five, which had been a worse run. Boxing yeah, that, that sort of that. bottom nine has effectively split in half now, I think. Yeah, it really has. But it's interesting because a lot of them still have those games between them, which will make it a little bit more exciting. Um, yeah, I mean, we've we've been saying this all year, you know, two wins on a, on the trot can mean absolutely nothing in the long run because um, that mini form can suddenly turn into like an absolute drought the week, a couple of weeks after. So, yeah. But looking at like going into the relegation battle, like looking at Forest, how their last win was against Leeds on the 5th of February. Wow. That's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 games ago. Yeah. And in that time, they've picked up scraps here and there. Um, and you're right. That, that, yeah, that, that group has split significantly. Uh, that kind of divide between the two um, now is... Kind of opening up just purely on form. If you look at the likes of yeah, Bournemouth's result against West Ham on Sunday wasn't ideal for them. But if you go oh Bournemouth against any of those bottom five now, you'd fancy Bournemouth in every just because 100%. they play they play yeah. with a certain style, certain aggression. They look like they know what they're doing. Yeah. Well, if you compare to the likes of Forest's recent results, which have been awful, they don't look like they've got a Scooby Doo. So in a lot yeah, of these I mean, head, remaining head-to-heads, it almost feels like you could call them now immediately. Six points on the travels as well. That's the worst in the league. <laughs> six points. You're... Wow. But then you look at that and you go, well, that's only four wins at home. They've only had four wins at home then. Yeah. Which yeah. We, we've spoken about the city ground being a we bit so, we have, we spoke, Yeah, We've got but a nice, then... a great atmosphere. They're really hard to beat there. Clearly... Clearly, they're not. 
Yeah, because I, I felt we were talking about Forest like back in like February when they went on this sort of run, especially after the World Cup. And you're thinking, actually, Forest seem as though they're getting their act together now and just. Yeah, it seemed to be kind of clicking for Cooper's men. Maybe they've got an idea. Sort of going, going along the merry way, and then all of a sudden, just week after week after week after week they don't get any wins and then just gradually sort of dropping down yeah. the table. It was that little spurt where just after the World Cup, they, I think we got a little bit excited by them drawing against Chelsea, beating Southampton, beating Leicester, drawing beating with Bournemouth. Um, oh yeah, that happened as well this season, didn't it? Yeah. But we're kind of like, oh, it's all working for uh, Cooper. He's got them playing a certain way and that's completely evaporated now yeah. into... It, it's just the way I way I've looked actually this whole kind of bottom nine fight off has made me kind of have a bit of a thought for this season that I think this season is been the easiest chance for a team to stay promoted in the Premier League uh, to stay in the Premier League and that because there has been such an absence of quality in the teams lower down yeah that I think it's maybe inflated how good some teams look. And this is going to be, this might be a slightly, I don't think you're wrong. This is going to be a slightly hot take because I know they have played well, but next season Fulham don't finish, Fulham don't finish in the top 10. Oh, I I think that I I can hear the phone lines going already. Well, I, I just think, even though we don't have a phone number to to ring into the metaphor, the metaphorical phone line is ringing. I, so my my logic is that obviously they've they've played they have played remarkably well this season, but then if you look at the game the quality of the teams that they have been picking up points against are all the teams that are down there. They've beat at the weekend beat a poor Leeds. The week before that they beat a poor Everton. Um, they've and then you look at the recent teams that they've lost to. Well, they lost to Brentford who are in in and around them. Um, they beat Forest. Like I, I don't know that they've done remarkably well against the teams down there. And I just think, for example, next season, I can't see yeah. all these teams that are currently down there having such bad seasons. That I think the te- the layout of the table could be quite different. And the fact there were nine poor teams for such a large amount yeah. of the season has made well, Fulham look better than they are. Well, we've got a Burnley coming up who have only lost three games. Um, in the championship season out of 43, which in and of itself is amazing. And I'll um, say that Burnley side could be easily the bot, uh, well, not easily beat, but I think would be more than competitive in against sit, maybe yeah. against the if bottom seven or company. eight. If they can keep company for sure. Um, but then you've also got a Sheffield United side who played quite well at the weekend against City. Um, yeah. ultimately didn't go their way in FA the Cup semi finalists, um, they're no mugs for a half hour. They 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 played pretty well, I'd say. Yeah, and they could um, have taken an early lead as well. They were exactly like, they had to produce a very good save from um, so, City second keeper. So, yeah, expanding from your sort of hot take, there are some good teams coming up. Um, there'll be some got, horrendous teams going down. So, you'll see the, the, the real bad teams going down, and you'll see those teams that do stay up. Yeah. Spending a lot of money. Not not the money indicates success will imply like get immediate success. Yeah. But given their spend of recent seasons, it's blessed to stay up. You can easily see them spending and they'll need to to replace the players that they'll will lose, like Tillemans, okay. maybe Barnes and um Madison. But you could see them easily spending like a hundred million. 
Yeah. And suddenly that cha- changes a team who from relegation to potentially we know how Leicester have good Leicester have been in the past to potentially be pushing up. So I think it's been very easy to do look good in this Premier League table as a distinctly average team. Okay. And that, that's not uh, I don't think it'll be a popular take, but I just think I think that's ha- harsh. I think there have okay, been teams so that are mid- so bad. Like yeah. even the likes of how bad Chelsea have been. I was gonna say you're I think if, at some I, point. You must I, be surely. So well this thing. If Chelsea have been awful, if they're another th- like let's say like let's say twelve, thirteenth, fourteenth, Palace, West Ham, and Wolves, if they had even mildly better seasons than they have been. Bear in mind, West Ham have only been really picking up points the last five matches. So have Palace and Wolves have done all right over recent weeks. If that kind of form had been spread out of all season, Chelsea would be looking even worse. Worse than doubles, yeah. And I think Chelsea, to an extent, are lucky that there are also nine teams that have been, for large amounts of the season, been absolutely abysmal. Yeah. Looking at Chelsea's form, looking at that they've got Frank Lampard in... And the teams that are slightly below them, like Palace, are only two points behind Chelsea. West Ham are only five. And uh, Wolves are only five points behind Chelsea. I'm just saying, Chelsea could end up finishing 14th. I I, I, I don't think... But based on their recent games, I could see, genuinely, those three teams leapfrogging Chelsea because Chelsea have been offering absolutely nothing. Yeah. You're wrong. They've got an unbelievable squad that's Todd Bowley's thrown a huge amount of money into. Their running is also hilarious, by the way. What Chelsea's running? Who have Brentford, they got? Arsenal, then Bournemouth away, Forest, yeah, at home, but then City away, United <laughs> away, and Newcastle at home. Realistically, looking at looking at what those teams that they're playing against are fighting for. Newcastle and Man U will be fighting for Champions League spots. Yeah. City will need to win to keep on that. Um, and City and Arsenal both fighting for the league titles. They'll be yeah. wanting to win those. Then <laughs> Bournemouth have Bournemouth at the Vitality have picked up worse, like have picked up points against better teams. So Forest don't travel well. So you could see Chelsea getting points there. And Brentford depends what Brentford turns up. Realistically, yeah. you could see Chelsea getting three or four points for the rest of the season. And the teams below them, you can see up, Beak picking up more than that. They could finish quite low. They could finish very low. And it wouldn't take much. Because their running is that bad. Yeah. Could you that imagine? Is a horrendous like, running. Like Crystal Palace with Roy Hodgson finishing above Chelsea. Conor Gallagher went back there after having a great season, but like wanting to break through and be a star, and yeah. then end up finishing below them. All this talk about where should where should Declan Rice go in the summer? Oh, will he go? Will he go to Chelsea? Well, no, they're below him. They oh, signed Mudrick for the a hundred. They signed Mudrick for a hundred million. Where's he finished in the Premier League? Thirteenth. Pays merchant. Like, it's not beyond the realms of possibility at this point. No, it really isn't. They, they have truly been that bad. Their goal, oh, God, their, I've just seen their goal difference. Like re- recent results for them haven't been against. Like I thought they were. They lost. To also, Bryce, the fact they have Frank Lampard as manager. Lost to Wolves, who aren't particularly good. Um, like they've been hit or miss. Villa have been playing well, but it's at home 
it's, they should be picking that up. They drew with Everton 2 all. They only yeah. beat Leeds 1 0. They and lost to South- two goals. They lost to Southampton. Who've done a double over them? Exactly. You could genuinely this Chelsea side is that poor that they could finish 14th, and I'm all for it. I think I it love maybe how is a bit. Yeah. I maybe think it's a bit of an ask for Bournemouth to maybe close a six point gap, but five point gap I think is quite realistic. Or based on the teams that West Ham and Wolves and Palace still have to play compared to Chelsea's running, yeah. which is horrendous. <laughs> I love this incredible divergence of the topic because we started talking about Leicester and now we've ended up at Pennsylvania Chelsea finishing 14th. Okay, yeah, fair, fair, fair point. Um, well, it goes to show that not all uh, mid-season appointments uh, managers work. No. But like that's the thing. It's such a scrap down there. Everyone's scrapping for points. And I suppose we moved on to my point of it's been such a bang average. It's been incredibly entertaining watching this kind of... Because at this stage of the season, there is still a fight for all the European spots. There is still a fight for the title. Not that we're that bothered by that. There's then this still fight for relegation. But a lot of this is because it's been... There's been some extremely poor teams on quite a regular basis. The neutral in me is slightly disappointed that there is a bit of a gap now opening up between those bottom nine clubs. I wanted to like I was hoping for a little bit length, a length, a, bit a more final game of the length, season where you could time. have one of seven teams get relegated exactly. would have exactly. been like the permutations on Sky would have gone into like four four or five pages. You could just see that you're you're sitting down watching West Ham uh, West Ham Leicester and suddenly they're bringing up like the score small box in the corner uh, oh, the as Billings box. like <laughs> knocks one in for yeah. almost to go one up early or something like that. And the rise of them from 18th up to 12th. But <laughs> oh. but no, I think, um, yeah, back to my point, there's been a lot of very bad football. Entertaining in terms of the permutations throughout the season, yeah. but some very bad football that is really on display that bang average. I feel yeah. harsh to... Okay, Fulham aren't bang <laughs> average. They have been above bang average for certain. They have absolutely impressed compared to where everyone thought they would be i just think their position is inflated than where if they if this fulham side played in last season's premier league i think they would be probably three places or so yeah. below where they currently are because the majority of their points are against the teams well they are pretty much against those teams in that bottom nine yeah i don't think there have been many or fulham half of the table there they have been many don't... fulham upsets against the so-called Big Six or Newcastle or the likes of Brighton or Brentford. No, yeah, exactly. They, they have kind of done all their business against... And that's how you do it. That's exactly how side. you do it. Yeah, exactly. As and, a template. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, anyway, back to Dean Smith. Um, I think <laughs> Leicester are probably going to stay up um, and it'll be that that final relegation spot will be a scrap between yeah. Leeds and Everton. I I just I need to wait until the next two games that let's to get out of the way before I make a decision on that. Well, at that point there'll be six points. They could be six points richer, and it's already. Two... Well, no, this this is what I'm saying. It's like I, I it very much depends on what happens in these next two games if left to stay up or go down. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. No, that, that's fair. Um, but no, very tight, very interesting. Still got for most teams six games left. Obviously, there's some other teams with games in hand and such, but. We'll see how it all plays out. 
Tom, last week we checked in about how the other 14 were doing in cup competitions. The last two standing were Brighton in the FA Cup semi-finals and West Ham in the Europa Conference League quarterfinals. Disappointingly, despite being very much the better team on Sunday, Brighton lost to Man U at Wembley in a penalty shootout which saw Solly March shooting over in sudden death. What what do you make of that result? Um, it feels a little bit bitter and deflating. Bit... I think I had in, in my head. Um, yeah, just just watching that game on, on Sunday, it, it felt Brighton had the opportunity there to take on Manchester United and put themselves a place in the um, in the final of the FA Cup in the showpiece uh, event of domestic sort of cup football in this country. Um, and Manchester United were very much there for the taking, especially after their sort of exploits in Seville at, uh, during the week. Um, <laughs> Harry Maguire. Harry Maguire! CC and also David De Gea. I have to um, say, if we... Um, if that... If that Man U team that played against Sevilla turned up against any of any of the Premier League this uh, this this game week, I think three points would have been picked up by anyone, even if as far as going because they were it hilarious hilarious to watch, but outrageously truly, bad, truly awful individual mistake. They couldn't have made it easier yeah. for Sevilla to go I was, through. Um, yeah, I was um, I was flying back from Seville on um, on Friday. And there was definitely some disgruntled Manchester United on my flight. Of course, uh, Manchester United been, supporters. You, you would have been flying into London, which uh, is where yeah. all of them reside. All, all in this, yeah, Surrey, sort of Sussex area. Yeah, absolutely. So that, so yeah, as Brighton going into that game, I think even before that semi final, uh, before, before Man U got knocked out in Europe, I think you probably would have still fancied Brighton with the way that they were 100%. playing. And Man U had some injuries to some big players. It just feels over the 120, they were the better team. And this, yeah. the, considering what, how clinical Brighton have been yeah. over the last couple of months and throughout most of the season, just that kind of cutting edge just disappeared a little bit, which is, I think, yeah. will be the one thing that Deserby is to be a little disappointed by yeah. that they could have wrapped it up. Yeah. And maybe should I, have. That was the one missing um, sort of key point about Brighton's play on Sunday was the fact that they just they, they lacked that final ball Matoma had a lot going about him that, that day but just seemed to make t- one or two poor decisions here and there um, maybe taking an extra touch where he could have laid it off or just making a wrong pass or whatever I'm not blaming Matoma at all because he's been fantastic throughout the season and um, been very much a, a reason why Brighton are where they are, but just in in general, Brighton were good at the back in the midfield, but they're just their attacking play. What has been such a bright spark for them this year just lacked that, like you said, that that, that clinical edge, that sort of final sort of chef's kiss pass. I think had Evan Ferguson played in that game, who unfortunately was injured for them, I think Brighton win that game. Yeah, I think they would have had a target man up front. And no disrespect to Danny Welbeck because he has had a good season. He's had a really good couple of weeks, actually, in playing kind of that role yeah. to where Ferguson hasn't been fully available the whole time. I just, I just think if Ferguson played in that game, I think Brighton would have won that. Yeah, I, I think I think it's those small margins of just the one player that might be out. Yeah. 
and I'm disappo obviously disappointed because I think Brighton, they they may be out of that full-on European race. It's going to be tough for them. I know they've got games in hand of the teams above them, but they might be able to get a seventh place and get a conference league, which seems a little bit disappointing considering how good they've been all season. Yeah, I, and I that's still why I think an FA saying, Cup, an yeah. FA Cup final, even though against Man City it would have been a tough game, it would have been a good moment for the fans. And I think they, considering what they've been through this season, they deserve almost a little bit more than what they're going to get come the end of the season. Yeah, I, it will probably feel to Brighton fans at this stage of the season if they don't pick up Europe, or obviously they they didn't um, end up in, a, in an FA Cup final in the first place. It would feel somewhat of a failure. Yeah, um, but I don't think it should be classified as that at all because this Brighton side have basically reinvigorated that gulf between the big six and the other fourteen. Yeah, absolutely. That um, they've they've gone through obviously been effectively their squad and their management were ripped apart through partway of the season, as we've said. Sold sold Basuma, sold Cucurella, then lost Potter. And then Deserby brought in this new energy and they've been yep. playing absolutely phenomenal. A lot of these players that were kind of unheard of breaking through. McAllister going and winning the World Cup with Argentina. Yep. It has been a lot. And then lose Trossard. Oh, and then lose Trossard in January. There's been a lot for this Brighton team to be extreme and the fan base to be extremely proud of this season. And that's why I wanted more from them. I wanted yep. I wanted them to have that extra bit more. Like we were all Brighton fans of the day. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when poor Sonny March just Blame should not be on him whatsoever. No, no, it has to some ultimately someone has to miss in a penalty shootout. Yeah, it's just unfortunate. Um it is unfortunate and I do feel sorry for the lads. Uh, it's really tough. Hopefully next week, uh in the next fixture he'll go in and score a couple to give himself that boost because he 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 deserved Almost deserved. He's been better. fantastic all he's, season. He's been, so. he's, has been brilliant all season. So really tough crack for him. Um, and then bloody it's more the fact that Lindelof steps up with that absolutely horrendous moustache. Oh, the facial hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's truly bad. And yeah. Prepubescent trying to learn how to sort of grow a tash. Absolutely. It's really hard going for them. Um, unlucky Brighton really want really want more for them this season. They do have a couple of games in hand on the teams above them. Um, it'll just be a case of maybe kit, try not to let that loss disappoint them. They're going to have a lot of games in a short space of time because they're making up on some teams in the league three games over the next couple of weeks. Between now and the end of the season, they've got to make up three games, which is pretty tough. Um, I think it'll just be a case of who drops out of that European race. Villa, I don't, although they got a draw at the week I don't see them um, I don't see them dropping out of that far down Liverpool seem to have picked up a bit of form if anything the team that I could see that's above Brighton that could drop out of the European places based on how awful they've truly been <laughs> is potentially Tottenham yeah and Brighton what so Tottenham have played 32 have 53 points Brighton are four points behind them and have three games in hand they they could do it and that would be immensely satisfying to then have three of the other fourteen in European, but uh, in yeah, three of the other fourteen in European places. And I I'll think have to that, look that up because I want to know how many of the other fourteen have been in Europe in one single season. 
We've had last season we had two with Leicester and West Ham. West Ham, yeah. Um, but I can't think of um particularly now we've got the conference league, there's obviously a higher chance of that happening. Yeah. Um but yeah, to, to the see dark. them through and I think and they truly have those Newcastle, Villa and Brighton have been the best three teams from the other fourteen consistently this season. It's obviously Villa kind of late bloomers with under Emery. But Brighton and Newcastle have been so consistent. And that's the thing with Brighton. They have been able to pick up that consistency. Compare them to last season. It's been a transformative season for them. And they have no reason to not be happy. Other than, I almost feel they need something a bit tangible at the end of the season to grab onto and be like, this is what we have achieved. Yeah. And then in continental football, West Ham have made it through to the semi-finals of a European competition for back-to-back seasons. After a destructive 15 minutes in the second half, which saw them beat Ghent and secure their next round matchup against AZ Alkmaar from the Netherlands, along with recent league results, is it starting to click for David Moyes' men all of a sudden, Tom? And... Obviously, is it all looking good all of a sudden at West Ham, or are there still areas of massive concern? I think they're they're, they're playing now as they should have been playing all season long, um, and you you sort of get a sense that their Euro- European run is starting to rub off finally on their league form. The fact that they are now getting deeper into a major European competition, um, it's finally starting to have an effect on the league form. Um, I, I I do think you know with their their recent results, what was it? Um, obviously the the win against Bournemouth at the weekend, um, the coming back from two two nil down against Arsenal as well. There just there just seems to be an element of West Ham getting their mojo back. Um, you know players from all around the park are starting to score now. Soufal seems to rediscovered a bit of form as well. Um. Bowen has, has gradually started to re-emerge as a player. Declan Rice has suddenly turned into like prime, like uh, like he's like he's Xavi, Iniesta sort of merged into one, and Busquets all, all like all in one. It's just his play has been sensational. Yeah, he's gone from a player that the thing is, West Ham fans will say he always plays fantastic every 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 week. He's al- almost always the best player on the pitch for West Ham, even when they've not been playing well. Um, uh, and then we had, and then there were the silly fun. comments. The second leg was just sit, completely different. Yeah. Like, Listen, there were then those silly comments from Sooness and Keane going, "Oh, if Declan Rice wants to be world class, he's going to have to add goals to his game." And my defence of him was always, well, he's a defensive midfielder. You don't turn round about the likes of Biscuits and go, "Oh well, Biscuits needs to be scoring more goals, like in his prime, yeah. do you?" No. Um, but when West Ham play well, he then has the freedom to do more. Yeah. And because his priority, if there are a couple goals up, suddenly isn't we need to keep a clean sheet. It's let's push forward and see how many we can win by. And that was evident in particularly against Ghent, but also against how they set up from the set piece against Bournemouth as well. Um, if we're going to talk about that result against Ghent, obviously not ideal, complete defensive switch off um, in going one down. And then almost like it took one bit of quality to then inspire the team. Um, there was uh, a great cross in from Jared Bowen, which then Antonio nodded in near post before half time. 
And then I think David Moyes' team talk would have been, look, lads, we've probably been playing as bad as we have been all season and we're still going in one all. Go and play. Go and play better. And it is one of those things that they they did not play well in the first half and they were still in the tie, which in most games in the Premier League or in uh, European football, if you have 45 minutes of playing badly, you typically get punished. Yeah. Um, and then they just turned it around. It was a, a, a short stint of the in the second half where they absolutely yeah. tore apart again, um, including that absolutely wonderful goal from Declan Rice, which yeah. was just chaos. And then they brought that form and bounced into the Bournemouth fixture where I think, and we'll go into this in Fab 4 shortly, but I think I when predicting the result last week, I said, well, you know, even if they win, they might be a little bit tired from that European result. They'll scrape a one nil. It just proved different. They just bounced on and almost yeah, went. It, this is this isn't just a oh we've got to play again. It's like we were inspired. We inspired ourselves yeah, in that result. It, it seems as though Bournemouth were the ones that played midweek in a in a second leg of a European competition. Yeah, um, but no, it's suddenly looking all rosy for David Moyes' men. Not the end. It's nowhere near the end of the season. No, it's not. It's not all cut and dry that they are sort of safe, but you kind of get. Like I said last week, whoever won that game between Bournemouth and West Ham, I think that was pretty much you know the That's sort their of pen, pen, pencil marks in. It's like yeah, they're safe. Yeah. So, um, but no, we'll be keeping track of West Ham in their uh, in their semi-finals. Hopefully, they can do better than they did last season. And actually, overcome their European opposition and go on to beat. Alkmaar, where they lost to Frankfurt last season and secured potentially their first European final in an extraordinary amount of time. So um, we'll keep everyone up to date with that. Tom, you don't know about me, but there are 23 massive goals to pick from in today's goal of the week. That does not rhyme as well as Tay-Tay makes it sound in her version. Um, It's a mouthful. But Tom, who do you think deserves this week's goal of the week? Goal of the week. What was that? Okay, anyway, moving on from that. <laughs> wow, I, I'm stunned by that. Um, I don't know where to begin. Right, I know where to begin. Let's talk about Joel Linton. Joel Linton, the, the striker that was signed for a fair amount of money, has become a central midfielder, yeah. disrupting up play, and then has now become a, a goal-scoring central exactly. midfielder. Not, not to be confused with Jeff Linton. Um, yeah, Joel Linton versus Spurs. Um, long ball stuff, but beautiful long ball stuff I've written down in my notes. There's a lovely long pass from Cher, which I think was his first or second um, assist in that game. I think he picked up a couple. Um, and then Joel Linton controlled it absolutely delightfully, rounds Lloris and just calmly finishes. That was a lovely yeah. little finish. The pluck out of the air was sensational, soft touch. Love it. Just beautiful. Murphy's, Jacob Murphy's, I've got his second of the game. Um, yeah, one of my notes memeable celebration yeah it's the fact that he's just so wide-mouthed and just sort of like what the hell have i just done part of the thing that made i think it was it was a really good strike absolutely brilliant goal i'll get to that in a minute (laughs) but there's no spurs player anywhere near him no that's how it's summed up spurs like to be from that distance out and have no one even close to stepping yeah. forward to pressing you, why wouldn't you take the shot? And yeah, Premier exactly. League players have that class that they will cause it's, trouble. It's one of those shots where after you've struck it, you just say, have it. Yeah, it, it was um, a yeah, fantastic bullet, strike. Yeah, 
bullet long range effort with a bit of dip that had Lloris just absolutely rooted. He just he didn't move. No, not at um, all. He was probably so stunned by that. That's probably the reason why he got he got substituted at half time. Yeah. Oh, it was, um, a, it was a hip muscle. Mm, yeah, sure thing. Uh, sure thing. Sure. Hugo. It yeah, wasn't, it wasn't like an shame, You went on it? a on a rant or just decided to just throw in the towel at half time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I've got uh, Isak's first against Spurs. Um, beautiful outside of the boot pass we've mentioned already from um, from Joe Willock that falls beautifully to that, Isaac. That assist out... makes the goal. Yeah, hundred um, percent. It's it's one of those where you know you want to give the goal to Willock as opposed to Isaac, but yeah. It, that pass takes out all the defenders. I say defenders. There's probably about two or one. I was going to say, I think part of the assist goes anyway. to Romero, the World Cup winning defender who was yeah. absent from the whole event. Completely. Um, and then, yeah, just a clinical finish from Isaac, who's, yeah, starting to really sort of bed in well uh, at Newcastle now. Like, you know, he's played well all season, but I think expecting well, a lot, Isaac lot had more a, from him. He joined and then was injured for a bit. Yeah, so, he was injured for a bit. Yeah, um, like an attack I, force of him and... Um, Wilson, really positive. I'm expecting big things next year. Um, and yeah, those are the ones I had from, from the Newcastle game because um, there was a lot to choose from. Um, then I've got uh, Lucas Paquetas against Bournemouth. Um, yeah, beautiful ball. It was a beautiful ball from Soufal who, you know, did. I've mentioned Soufal already in this pod. A lot of that was down to him. He wins the ball back. He does a little one. I can't remember who does a one-two with. Um, but then he runs down the line and then a beautiful cross to Paqueta, who literally just charges in and just nods it down. Um, yeah, there's a lot to do with the cross and just the fact that Paqueta just, uh, I'm having that, and just nods it. Um, and then I I don't want to mention this one, but just because of the audacity of it, four nails against Bournemouth. Like, do we call it a scorpion kick? Because he definitely doesn't connect with it. Well, he does connect with it, but it's, it does. But it's, it's not... It's, it's not Olivier it, Giroud, is it? It's not Olivier Giroud. It's not Henrik Mkhitaryan. It. The thing is, the cross was behind him. It's a, a great moment of improvisation that although he doesn't make clean contact on it, he doesn't need to at that point because the keeper's going the wrong way. And to be honest, anyone who does make clean contact on them, it's just luck anyway because you don't know what you're, you're throwing yourself at it and hoping you make yeah. contact. Like that you don't Giroud, those. Like for example, that Giroud goal. Unbelievable goal. I think it won the Pushkas Award. Yeah. Incredible goal. But realistically, there was just as much chance of it spooning off his heel and going over the bar. So for this one, yeah, he could have maybe made better contact and rifled it into the back of the net. But the slight, maybe delicate hit also went in. And I just think it's less about the finish, more about the improvised nature of it. The fact that he kind of threw himself at it the way he yeah. did. That I think is the more impressive aspect. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Um, the improvisation for a bit was absolutely spot on. Just it wasn't exactly one that was sort of clean on the eye. Um, I, but I anyway, think that's fair. Uh, we move on. Uh, I've got Harry Wilson against Leeds. Um, Melio with a poor clearance. Shock horror. Um, it's almost lands... as if he's not a very good goalkeeper. Yeah, it, right. Weird. Uh, ball lands at Wilson's feet, who just absolutely lashes at home. Lovely finish. Um, I think that was to put, was that Fulham's first goal of the game, I think? Um, I, can't, I can't remember. I can't remember top of head, but yeah. Um, and then I've got Alcaraz's against Arsenal again. Another keeper error from Ramsdale, but then Alcaraz still has a lot to do, and then just finishes the long range effort really, really well there. Um, and then just rounding off that Southampton game, Walcott, um, lovely, great ball from Alcaraz, and then clinical finish from the three A um, to put Southampton at that point two goals to the good and absolute limbs in the away end. 
yeah, it was almost a little. Uh, it's one of those things that where Walcott scored, and you're like, well, of course he did. It's his old club. Yeah, like, it's football law. It, yeah, you have to score against your old club. It's just, it's just the way. Um, you know what? I'm actually stumped this week. I think this is a difficult one. I think it's a difficult one. Um, because there are a lot of very good goals. And mm. I, I think I, just for ease on the eye, because I, I do like Jacob Murphy's, but I, I feel as though the last couple of weeks I have been sort of edging towards more of those sort of types of goals. So I want to sort of vary it up a little bit. Um I I, 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 I I'm more prefer I much more prefer top bins if you're gonna shoot from long range as opposed to dipping into the bottom corner. Fair. Um I think just for that reason alone, just for the the lovely sort of ascetic nature of it, I think I'm going to choose um, Isak's first. Okay, uh, I, I think it's just because a, a very anything good sort of outside of the boot pass just immediately just uh, it just raises yeah. the level. Like assisted by um, yeah. an absolutely fantastic more on the assist as opposed to the finish. Terrible defending. Yeah, um, it's one of those that if. Bornaus had made better contact. It would have been a really easy. It would have been really easy to give it to him. Hundred percent. Just the audacity. It's just the fact that when I see it, it's like, oh, just yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm, I'm glad he went for the scorpion kick, but it's just the fact that it's just like, oh, just, yeah. Like, yeah, had the keeper but... thought about it, I was like, oh, I've got time to actually pick that up and just hold it. <laughs> but no, it it, it was uh, the line. a result that rounded off um, a good. Uh, yeah. It was a goal that rounded off a good result. But no, I think. Just because it was purely in just this destructive phase that annihilated Spurs, um, yeah, I think Isak is outclassed. Yep, I think Isak is a very worthy winner of this week's goal of the week. And now it is time for our Fab Four contest, the competition that pitches our score prediction skills against one another. Tom, um, no, we don't, I'm not no, sure what to say, no, bud. No, we don't have to do this. Uh, did you completely strike out this game week? I may have done. Wow, I did. Yeah. So if we're going game by game. So Fulham v Leeds, a game we've not spoken much about, but um, we have mentioned Fulham and how we were thinking that they weren't going to be too great in the spell where they've not had Mitrovic. We thought they were on the beach. They weren't going to deliver. Was that result more of a statement of how poor Leeds are than how good Fulham are currently playing? I think it highlights, yeah, it, it highlights where Leeds have gone wrong all season. And ultimately, it's probably down to the goalkeeper. Um, but I don't want to highlight too many sort of, it, it, it feels a little bit harsh to blame the entire season on one player. Um, but it is fundamental where Leeds are, where they are, because they don't have that, they're not strong at the back. Um, and for them, just took advantage of that, and I should have seen that coming. I, I I don't think you're wrong in that. Potentially, yes, you should have seen that coming. Um, you predicted that it would be a draw, and that Leeds would get a point on the road, which once again was probably a sign that it wasn't a great prediction if you're expecting Leeds to get a result on the road. I mean, which... I wasn't expecting. I just wanted to do something different to you because it was like, well, I've got to make up some points now. That that is fair, um, but I was the one that was able to predict that Fulham would 
win. The only difference is I thought that Fulham would potentially keep a clean sheet, which they unfortunately didn't. So I put a 2-0 result and I got one point for that while you walk away with nothing. And then Palace v Everton. Both of us confident that this Palace train would just keep steaming along and getting win after win after win. However, Sean Dyche's men had a different idea and Saying that, we should have seen this going, oh, it's a Sean Dyche side against the Roy Hodgson side. It should be nil-nil. Um, yeah. And it was nil-nil. Uh, we both thought that the Eagles were going to were going to do a little bit more. Um, so both of us incorrectly predicted that game with you going for a 3-1 and me going for a 3-0. But nothing for either of us there. And then Leicester... The Wolves, an absolute relegation tussle down there between the two teams. Um, you you had even less faith in Dean Smith than me. If for this one, yeah. you thought it was just going to be the draw. Um, but you didn't see Castagna scoring that magnificent team goal, which is another one that should have got mentioned in goal of the week, actually. You know what the hilarious yeah, you're not wrong. Um, you know what the more hilarious thing is? Did you so put an obviously... Acheron for Leeds to win or something? Uh you mean Leicester? Sorry, do you put Acheron for Leicester to win? Uh, no, um, but obviously I didn't see Castagna scoring in Fab Four, but I did see him scoring in Fantasy. Oh, you bought him in, in your Fantasy team? He's been in my Fantasy team for like the last couple of weeks. Oh, well, you've been relying on it. You've been yeah. needing a return from him yeah. there. Um, yeah, Leicester doing what they need, just getting that almost that first win under the new manager, which is essential. Um there, which, in all fairness, as we've said, do we count? Do we class it as a bounce if it's like a couple of games in? I don't think. I, I think it needs to be game one. I think new manager bounce is a, a bit of a myth, if I'm honest. Yeah. I don't, and I think Opta have done studies into it, and I don't think it's as clear cut as you bring in a new manager and results all turn good yeah, exactly, because yeah. of the manager. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think typically results normally regress back to where the former manager had been. So yeah, I, I'm so there's every chance that Leicester would have got this result under Brendan. Um, but no, a two-one win there for Dean Smith's men, which once again saw you pick up zero points from that game. While I managed to get nil point, I, yeah, you got nil point. I got one point though because uh, I could see I had faith in Dean Smith. I'm like some here. And then Bournemouth v West Ham. You you thought it was going to be Bournemouth on the beach. Win that game, absolutely sorted. Gary O'Neill, what a job. And obviously the uh, Thursday fixture taking a bit of a toll on West Ham. And you went for a 2-1 result. I went for a 1-0 West Ham, thinking that they would just kind of, as they have done in some other games, kind of squeak out that 1-0 result like they did at Fulham, for example, the other week. Away games, West Ham don't really win away games this season. Um, but And definitely not four goals to nil. Definitely not four goals to nil, and they potentially could have had a fifth. I think I, I'm not sure how I haven't seen the highlights to know how offside Corne was in his goal when that was disallowed. Um, yeah, four goals to nil. An interesting couple of stats from that game. This was the first time this season that Bournemouth have played on a Sunday, which mad. which is mad to me that they haven't draw they haven't had a game against one of the European one of the teams that have been playing in Europe on the Wednesday or the Sun or the Thursday, which almost guarantees them a Sunday fixture. And then this was the first time this season West Ham has scored inside the first 15 minutes. 
they just haven't started well this season in any game. But this time they did and they scored two early goals. As you mentioned, um, one of the goals from Paqueta and the first being from Mikel Antonio. This game was very much a case of the West Ham of old where set they've absolutely nailed set pieces three yep. and counterattacks, which is something that Moyes had kind of built an identity around, which they've been lacking for so many goals this uh, for so many games this season. So um they turned out four nil winners there, which was another point for me. And nothing again for you. Um absolute strikeout zero. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't all, the best of weeks. Like Britain at Eurovision most years, you have nil point. So yeah, I, I, I this has resulted Spurs. though in me opening up probably one of the biggest gaps either of us have had all season with you on 46 points and me ascending to a seven point lead on 53. So Tom, before we go on to predict the next four fixtures for the Fab Four contest, can you please remind us of what games we have to look forward to in next week's game week? So here are the fixtures for match week 34 coming up. So we have the lunchtime kickoff on the Saturday sees Roy Hodgson going up against David Moyes, Crystal Palace against West Ham. And then we go to West London for the starts of the three o'clocks. We have Brentford against Nottingham Forest and it's Brighton and Hovalian up against Wolves. Then moving on to Sunday, Bournemouth, back-to-back weeks where they're playing on Sunday. It's the two o'clock fixture against Leeds. Fulham play host to Manchester City. That's the Sky fixture. Then it's Manchester United at home to Emery's Villa. Newcastle play host to Southampton. And then it's Liverpool against Spurs. And then Monday Night Football sees Smith up against Deitch. It's Leicester against Everton at the King Power. That is truly a Brexit ball must win game. Um, Obviously, those were the fixtures for match week 34. Between us recording now and the episode going out on Thursday, we're going to have uh, match week 33, which well, there's just so much football in such a short space of time. We can't. There's really such a festival of football coming up. It's mad. <laughs> we just can't really keep on top of it. I suppose the midweek fixtures that will be come and go by the time that um, by the time that this pod comes out, so everyone will know the results. I think the interesting ones for me are, will be Brentford going to Chelsea because how bad Chelsea are. Um, and then that Leeds Leicester fixture truly is that possible it's a crunch game. It's yeah, it's you kind of think whoever wins that has the best chance of staying up. Well, actually, if Leicester win, they've got a very good chance of staying up. Leeds' fixtures are so bad that it will. They just need all, to win. They they yeah they'll struggle otherwise. But for our Fab Four contest, we have the following fixtures. We have the James Tompkins Derby with. Palace v West Ham. We have Bournemouth versus Leeds. We have the Alan Shearer derby with Newcastle playing Southampton. And then we have... Sorry, Shearer played for Southampton? It's where he broke through. Mad. He played for Southampton, signed for Blackburn, and then went on to Newcastle. Madness. Did you not know that? He scored like 20 Premier League goals for Southampton. That. You, and you call yourself a, another 14 fan. You disgrace. Yeah. Um, and then the final Fab Four fixture is Leicester v Everton. I can't think of a player that played for, has played for both teams. 
not off the top of my head. No, not off the top of my head either. Wow. Um, no, he hasn't must been. Be I don't think so. I don't think it exists. I don't think any player has ever played for both teams. Um, and I'm sure I'll be proved wrong next week. So, Tom, let's crack into it straight away. So, it is a London derby. Damari Gray. Damari Gray derby. Ah, of course. Anyway, back to it. Palace v West Ham. London derby. Saturday um, lunchtime kickoff is not a common fixture for West Ham this season due to their European involvement. Um, So, how do you think it's going to play out this time round with Palace being so high-flying, West Ham having broken out of that kind of model of relegation for the time being? Where are all the beans going? I think this would be a good game, actually. Um, If both teams play as well as they have been in recent weeks, we could have a quality end-to-end game. Yeah, I think this would be quite a good game. I think it would be end-to-end. and I, I don't really, at this stage, see anywhere where I can split them. Um, so, based on that, I'm I'm, I'm going to say I expect a few goals in this game. Um, I think Palace will have shrugged off the, the disappointment of the 0-0 at the weekend and they'll get back to sort of their sort of scoring exploits. Elise will have a blinder, I think, as a will do the same. I, I'm going to go, I'm going to go for a two-all. A two-all. See, that's the kind of high-scoring fixture that I kind of thought would be going on. That's where my mindset currently is. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a really tough one because both teams, as you say, if they're playing to their full attack potential, it will there there should be fireworks. It should be a really exciting early kickoff. But never trust the early kickoff. Um, yeah. I am going to say that Palace are going to win three. Two, um, the one extra goal. Yeah, I just think it's going. It's a tough one. The draw. I suppose it's one of those that, deep down, obviously, I want West Ham to win. And it, if Palace win, at least there's the kind of I get a point in this game, so it kind of loosens yeah. the blow a little bit, lessens the blow, and maybe I'll even put a couple of pounds on uh, the draw. So it, what, regardless of the result, there's some level Everyone's of satisfaction for me. Absolutely. And then we have Bournemouth v Leeds. Bournemouth, being part of that breakaway group, um, obviously will be disappointed with their result against West Ham. And then they do have, before this game, a midweek game against Southampton in a South Coast derby. So I assume the thing is, a lot of these midweek fixtures will potentially influence the results at the weekend, which we can't foresee at the moment. Um, Bournemouth like scoring goals. Leeds love conceding goals. Yes. Leeds are lacking in firepower at the moment. So I'm going to say it is going to be a Bournemouth 3-1 win. 3-1? Okay. I could just see Billing getting one and then your favourite player, um, Aiden Jaden uh, Anthony. Um, not Aiden Jantony, uh, as <laughs> I, I prefer. Um so yeah, I I just Bournemouth. This is the sort of fixture that if Bournemouth have been on a small kind of little or lost one, don't know how it's going to go against Southampton. This is the one that they'll then suddenly turn up from, get all three points, and secure yeah. their safety. Well, I think Bournemouth will probably go back into their win one lose one win one lose one sort of form. So based on that, they'll then beat Southampton during the week, and thus should lose. If if that's the logic, you'll go. But Leeds 
winning, but Leeds don't are win. Are you sure Leeds winning away? Um, let me have a quick look at what Leeds' away form has been this season. So looking at the it's Premier not League, fantastic. Looking at the table away from home, Leeds have won two games all season. They have won two, one of those drawn, was Anfield, drawn three, and lost eleven with a goal difference of minus thirteen. Do you fancy Leeds for this result then? Um, obviously, based on those stats, absolutely not. It's uh, and yeah. I... While Bournemouth at home, however, have played sixteen, won five, drawn four, lost seven. So obviously a losing record, a s- but, but a solid. They solid do pick up a good of... amount of points. Yeah, they do they pick have, up a good amount of they've points. They've got nineteen points at home this season. One 0 Bournemouth. A mad fixture for a mad result for two teams that yeah neither can really defend. I think um, it would be scrappy and just yeah one nil. Okay, and then going on to Newcastle Southampton, uh, we have Newcastle who typically an absolute fortress up in St James's Park took apart Tottenham there on Sunday. They're going to need to keep. This is the sort of game where they absolutely need to win to stay in that Champions League hunt because I think it's unlikely they'll be caught but they need to keep that momentum up Yeah, um, they're playing away at Everton midweek which might could potentially be a banana skin because sometimes good certain midweek floodlights could be a challenge Yeah, but then you think a nice Sunday afternoon kickoff at home to Southampton that the points should be in the bag there for them right? I, I think so and a, a Southampton side based on sort of what we've discussed about them so far this pod near enough at the point of relegation it's still well within their rights to, to stay up but I just think with the way Newcastle have played obviously minus the Villa game um, last week are playing very very well right now and after that performance against Spurs um, at the weekend we'll just be going from strength to strength and just have such a high amount of confidence going to that game um, Southampton depending on how they do midweek as well um, but I can only see a Newcastle win here, and I'm going to go for a 3-0. A 3-0. And that's the fair logic that I'm applying. Is not, It's not about who wins. It's by how much do Newcastle win. And I'm prepared to be slapped in the face by wet fish if I get this call wrong. Considering Southampton... Southampton haven't been awful on the road, in all fairness. No. They have... They've had 16 games on the road. They've won four, drawn two, lost 10. So in all fairness, not the wor- by any means the worst run in the league. But you just... Newcastle are somewhat imperious at home, aren't they? So yeah. it just depends what Southampton turns up. If it's the Southampton that can turn, turn it's up... It's the Southampton and, side against a not big six side. Yeah, if it's the Southampton side that turn up against... Arsenal, who pressed really well and were clinical, then we could have a good game here. Yeah. But if it's the Southampton that turned up against London Stadium, then Newcastle will absolutely pick them apart. So I think three ones. Uh, I think your three nils a good prediction. I'm just going to go four nil. It's going to be a bonanza at St James's. Fair enough. Fair enough. And then the final game of the Fab Four is that fixture between Leicester and Everton. That Monday night football, which is actually a poorly picked fixture for me because we'll probably be recording that night. So whether we'll actually know the result by the time um, we start recording, maybe. Yeah, yeah so um, either way, we're rolling with it now because the alternative fixture from that game week to pick would 
be the game between Brighton and Wolves, which, to be honest, is or less Brentford exciting. Forest. Or Brentford Forest. Uh, neither. I, I, put, I think, well, I put Leicester Everton in because it is that relegation scrap. It is two yeah. teams that are desperate for the three points, while the other two have a team that is fairly high up the table. Yes. So, okay. Leicester v Everton. It do does this run of does this slight emergence of form keep going for Leicester, or do Everton just turn up with that low block and just see out a, a low scoring one nil 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 type of game? Well, I think I think we do need to sort of quite kind of highlight for Everton the fact that they have been on the little bit of a winless run of late. They have not won in five. We did obviously when Dice was appointed. He did go on. Oh, we did think. Oh, he's picked up some useful points here. Like yeah. they did go and uh, that weird one nil result against um, against Arsenal. We thought, yeah. okay, this is it. Then they beat Leeds. Yo, know, it's still ticking along. And then they got that shock win against Brentford. But other than that, it's been Sneaky. a lot, a lot of draws and a couple of losses. So yeah, it's, I suppose I... at the moment their form has been keeping them. St- up with the teams around them, but not pushing them away yeah. from the teams around I, them, I, like I, the former Palace. I think at some point they need to start picking up wins. Otherwise, I, I, I don't question Dyche at all. I, I think he's obviously come in and, and... He's doing his best with a very... He's doing, yeah, exactly. he's, do, he's doing his best. And if Everton do go down, I think they have the right manager in place to bring them back up. I don't 100%. think there's anything... Anything to be, to be and I don't there. think I know I don't think he would necessarily take that job unless he knew that he had the certainty of a second season in the championship exactly. to try and bring them up. Um, based on that, you say a turnaround in form for Leicester. Um, that's not Leicester, that's Manchester City. Um, well, they've got one win. In, they've got, got their first win in Blooming Forever. So, yeah, oh, How is that a turnaround? Well, no, it's, it's just one win. Well, it's a turnaround in form because they've oh, yeah, okay, okay. lost, okay. lost, lost. It's just whether Form is they, over a couple of games. Yeah, it's just whether they kind of... Okay, Turnaround in fortunes. There we go. Let's yeah. phrase it. Okay. It's whether they can pick up that result against Leeds and a result against Le- I, I still stand by it. If they get a win and a draw from those games, suddenly they're on 32 points and that is look things are looking brighter for yeah. them. Everton I, don't score a lot of goals, that's the trouble. Yeah. Um, in terms of Yeah, they, they really don't, do they? Um no. Everton away from home. Fashion, they Everton, don't score a lot of goals. And Everton away from home. Everton have only won one game this season away from home. But Leicester's home form hasn't been fantastic. No. Leicester at home have is, is one from worst in the league, having only won yeah. before. Oh, God. This is... <laughs> it's very difficult to predict. You it's know what? very I'm... difficult to predict. I, I'm going to say that Leicester are going to win it and they're going to win 2-0. I think it's got a draw written all over it. Okay. What I'm going to go 1-0. A one, you think it'll be a score draw? Yeah. Okay. I've gone in that then all for all home wins. I don't see an away side getting a thick result. But then the away sides are West Ham, Leeds, Southampton and Everton, who between them are pretty... <laughs> they're pretty low on the table in terms of uh, looking away at away for, Looking at away form, um, they're all pretty poor. 
So I don't think it's too unrealistic to uh, have that go that way. So, well, we'll see how we do with these predictions in next week's episode. Well, hopefully I'll fare a little better than nil point. I can't get any lower. You, you, can't, you can't have points taken if, away from if, you in this exactly, game. Exactly. Have we found a way to get minus points in this game? You can't have a reading and be done for financial fair yeah. play and have points taken away from you. <laughs> and with that, we are at the end of this week's episode of the Other 14 podcast. Tom, thank you for joining me on this week's episode. You're welcome. And thank you to everyone for downloading and listening to this week's pod. Please subscribe and give us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. Also, do recommend us to your friends, family and other 14 fans. And please do follow us on our social media platforms. We have both a Twitter and Instagram account, and you'll find those links in the podcast description. So it's a goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. And we'll see you next week on the Other 14 Podcasts.